We're going to continue our um, teaching series, kind of teaching slash counseling series on Wednesday night on what we've entitled Why Smart People Make Dumb Decisions. And uh, we've been doing our best to uh, just kind of move through it, not ultra slowly, but uh, at a good pace that hopefully you can assimilate some of the things that we're talking about and trying to put inside of you by way of precept. I have, uh, through the years, become acutely aware uh, that after you're done teaching or preaching that people's retention levels sometimes aren't that great. And that's not any fault of yours. Mine aren't that great either. I can't go back and remember every message I've ever heard. And especially, um, you know, just being under a particular ministry, it, it, uh, it doesn't all stick all the time. And so that's why there's, there's moments of review and, and moments of uh, just kind of slowly working through something to make sure we're getting it into our system. And, and so if I'm, not, if I'm not putting out enough information fast enough for some of you, be patient. You know, I'm the guy that likes watching the cable news network and, you know, you see the news report going on and then underneath it, there's this ticker tape running with news on it. And then sometimes they have another smaller set in the corner where something else is going on. I love that. Man, it's like you can't feed me enough information. It's just my, my attention span is, is, totally, is totally appeased. At that moment, when all this stuff's coming my direction. Now, I'm not, I don't know how much I remember, probably zero, but I like it coming at me that way. Well, I'm not going to do that to you tonight, but uh, I understand that, that this isn't just information. This needs to be revelation, so it helps you in, in your decision-making and your quality of life. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review a little bit. Last week, praise God, Pastor Noah helped me out, and he talked about maturity and some things in that area and gave some great nuggets and truths and some bullet points. And so that was helpful. I appreciate him doing that because I was, I was absolutely exhausted from battling illness. But uh, we're back and I may cough at you uh, a time or two, but uh, we'll cover our mouth and we'll believe that health will remain in the house. Um, last time we were together, remember, we drew a, uh, a circle and there's one right there on your notes. A pre-drawn, looks like bullseye, does it not? And we began to talk to you about the makeup or the nature of a human being. And we as human beings are not just spiritual and physical or spiritual and natural. We don't uh, have just a psyche and senses. But God created us, the scripture says, in his image. And we believe God to be triune in nature. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in much the same way, you and I as human beings have been created with a triune nature as well. The scripture is very clear at this point. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, and if you want to go uh, to that passage, it's probably the most distinct passage that proves all of this. When Paul writes, I pray that the very God of peace would sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, or completely, keeping And I believe this is the order, if I'm not mistaken. It says keeping your spirit, is that right? Spirit, soul, and body blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of the time when we're talking about the triune nature of man, 
it's most of the time, and I, I fall into this pattern as well, I say body, soul, spirit. That's, that's how I usually say it. But the order in Scripture, I think, is really significant because it doesn't say body, soul, spirit. It says spirit, soul, and body. And I believe the order is important because it really demonstrates the order by which we should be living life. Most of our life should be lived out of the inner man, out of the spirit portion of our being. Uh, this will become hopefully more and more clear to you, not only tonight, but if you continue to come in the upcoming, upcoming weeks. And in this circle that we provided for you, you can put in that circle, there's, there's spots for you to do this. The outside ring is, is body. The next one is soul. And of course, this intersection of who you are is spirit. And by the way, uh, although that looks like a capital S, it would probably be more precisely uh, uh, written out small s, not capital S. Capital S is Holy Spirit. Small s is human spirit. I had uh, one of our guys come up a few weeks back and was asking me some questions on this subject about the difference between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit. And I, when the Bible says that we're to walk in the Spirit, doesn't that mean we're supposed to be walking in the Holy Spirit? And, and, and maybe this is a good moment to just share this with you. And that is when God works with you, when God interacts with you, a lot of times, you know, we're really kind of confused or we just don't think about how God interacts with us as human beings. We wonder, does he work with me in my emotions so I feel a certain way? Does he work with me in my mind so maybe, maybe I get these impressions? Or, or when someone says they heard from the Lord or when someone says God's speaking to them. I mean, we use these phrases. But what does that mean as it's kind of getting worked out in my life? Or how does that work experientially? inside of me. If I believe God's speaking to me, then, then what's going on inside of me? Well, this is where God works. God works right there in your inner man. God doesn't, listen, when God confronts you, I'm not saying there's not feelings that are associated with your interactions with God. I'm quite sure there are feelings at times. I'm not saying that God can't come and override your natural faculties. In fact, we'll read in scripture that there were moments that people encountered the Lord, you know, Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and it knocked him clean off his horse. So he would probably get up and say, hey, the Lord kicked my tail. I had an out. I mean, he interacted with my body. So I'm not suggesting that God doesn't interact with these aspects. I'm saying, though, to you that the predominant way God acts with all of us is in our inner man, where our spirit is located. And for most of us, we are so ignorant and we're just so unaware of that aspect of our being that for a lot of life we miss God. We miss his direction. We miss what he's trying to do. We miss his voice. We, and, 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 and it's not just because we're in rebellion, although for some I'm sure rebellion has something to do with it. But for many people, it's just, I don't, I don't get how God works in here. I don't understand how this is released. And this is where God works. And what happens is, is that when you, when you are saved, when you are born again, when you're regenerated is, is literally the theological word regeneration. The scripture uses that term. What happens is, is that your spirit before meeting Jesus, which was dead, the scripture says, in trespass and sin, 
You understand you were biologically living, but how many of you know you didn't have life? No, there was no life. In fact, a lot of life was falling apart. And then all of a sudden, you, you're aware of your need of a Savior. You're, you're aware of the, the judgment of, of sin that's upon you. You're aware of your need for a relationship with God. And all of a sudden, however that worked out in your life, you, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And the Scripture says at that moment you were saved. And what happened at that moment is that this part right here, which was dead in trespass and sin, all of a sudden is confronted with the life of God. Resurrection life. Paul said in Romans 6 that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead is alive in you. Isn't that incredible? Where's that located? Right there in the inner man. And what happens is, and listen, this is important, is that, is that as the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you, the Bible says things like, greater is He that is in you than he that's in the wor uh, world. Uh, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in you. Where is that? It's, it's right here. And what literally happens at that moment is the Holy Spirit becomes so entwined with your spirit that it becomes almost indistinguishable. The only way we distinguish the two is because you get to sit in a Wednesday night class and pastor's going to tell you there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and your spirit. But in reality, God lives in you and, and has such dominion in you that at that moment, your spirit and His spirit become so intertwined that it's almost, in practicality, indistinguishable. So when the Scripture says to us, I tell you to walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means this. It means, well, doesn't it mean, Pastor, we should walk according to the Holy Spirit? Well, sure, it means that. But where's the Holy Spirit located? In where? In your where? So, so if you're walking according to the Spirit, we're walking out of the inner man. And if you want joy... Peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, long-suffering. If you want the fruits of the Spirit, if you want a quality of life, a quality of existence that is distinguishably different from the rest of the world, then you and I are going to have to understand how life is to be lived out of this portion of our being. Here's our problem. Most of our life is lived out of this part of our being. And as you will recall, what I talked about the body, the body is empowered by, that's a five, by the way, that looks like an S. Our five senses. If you want to know what has dominion over your body, it's your senses. Your eyes, your ears, your, your smell, your touch, your taste. That's what has dominion over your body. That's what empowers your body. Now, I'm just going to keep it at those two levels. Listen, I've talked about the inner man, your spirit. I'm talking about your body and your senses. Let's just go to decision-making right now. The reason we make, relatively smart people make, dumb decisions is because they allow this to begin to direct or input their mind, 
their emotions or their feelings, and out of their mind and their feelings, they begin to make decisions, because I said the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. They allow what comes through their senses to dictate their decision-making. Now, I have on your sheet here, and you can fill in the blank, you know, fill in all the blanks and you can write around this. But I wrote down here, which part will influence in greatest measure your decision-making? And that's the question you and I face every single day of our life. What's going to influence my decision-making? Where am I going to derive my information? Where am I going to derive my judgment? Where am I going to get understanding? Where am I going to get discernment? Where am I going to get what I need to make a quality decision? Can you see just by using this little whiteboard here that it would probably make a whole lot more sense if you and I got in touch with the divine maker of who we are you see, this is what I figure. I figure if God created me, he probably is the best one to run me. Wouldn't you say that's true? Isn't it true when you got computer problems? You can call your uncle, your uncle Harry. Oh yeah, he messes around with computers on the weekend. I'll just let him get his little screwdriver out and mess with mine. You can do that. Or you can go call the manufacturer and let them help you. Now, I'm not saying Uncle Harry doesn't know what he's doing. Sometimes he probably does. But the point being is, is that in all likelihood, the manufacturer is going to have a much uh, better opportunity and understanding in order to help you fix that computer to run right. The manufacturer of you and I, God himself, is the one most qualified to help us make decisions. That's why the scripture says, again, that you and I are to be led by the Spirit. Alright? To be led by the Spirit. In fact, it says that as many are as led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. And so you literally demonstrate your relationship to God by your ability to be directed and to make decisions that not only please Him, but are befitting of Him. And I can tell you right now, God wants good things for your life. He's not looking to mess you up. He's not looking to turn you down a, a wrong street. Now, I understand for, there are times we, we've faced bad things. And sometimes those bad things have come to us because we've made poor decisions. And then we want to blame God. You know, all of a sudden, then we decide we're going to become Calvinists and believe in the sovereignty of God. You know, we make we make a hundred poor decisions and then we're in a bind and then we want to blame God. Why'd you, why'd you, why'd you get me here, God? Well, God was trying to direct you from not being there. But you weren't listening to this. You were being empowered by this. And, but then you want to blame God. God's not trying to mess you up. He's trying to get you to a will that the scripture again says, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, is good, acceptable, and perfect. So that's what I want for my life. I believe that's that's where you're going to find the greatest sense of joy, satisfaction, contentment, fulfillment, all the things that you so desperately are looking for, but you never seem to find. Because, because you're making your decisions from a direction that's, that's not ultimately getting to where you need to be. And so, um, which part, I just want you to ask the question, I wrote it down here on the notes. 
Which part, right now, don't, don't raise your hand. You don't, have to, you don't have to confess out loud to me. But just be honest and ask yourself, which part of you most often is driving your decision-making? Which part of you most of the time is driving your choices? And when you become aware of that, I, I think you're at the first step of being able to stop and say, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting off the roller coaster. I'm getting, I'm getting off the train. There's a couple of passages here. You can just write, scroll it out on the side there. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, let me find this real quick. Genesis 2 verse 7, I believe it is. Genesis 2 7. It says, the Lord God formed a man, man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath. In the Hebrew, that word is ruach, which, which is wind, spirit, breath. The breath of life, and man became a living being. In fact, the old King James Version, I believe, says soul. And, and, and it's an important passage because what we see there is that God, God breathes spirit, the Scripture says, into the original man. And out of that original man, he arises and he now has life. Life. He had a shell. God had created the shell. Everything was there that would operate him, but he had no life. And of course, he's in this pristine condition. Sin had not entered into the equation yet. But, but the point of the passage is this, that the spirit part of you was designed to give life to every aspect of who you are. Your senses are not designed to give you life. In fact, sometimes your senses will actually lead you astray. And so, and so I'm just underscoring the point that, that in order to make quality decisions, we're going to have to learn what it means to be uh, in touch with that. Now, I'm going to have you fill in the blanks here relatively quickly, uh, which will make some of you feel really, really good because you are blank filler-inners. And, and it, it just, it kills you to have to walk out of church and not have all your blanks filled in. Now, I'm going to give you 10 emotions, and, and I could, I, I'm only going to spend maybe 60 seconds, if I can even spend that long on each one. Uh, 10 emotions, though, predominantly that drive poor decisions. Now, these emotions are not generated from here. These emotions are generated from this direction, all right? It's from your senses usually. So start writing these things down and, and hopefully when you're, when you're feeling it, because we've all felt this way. Don't, don't say, have you never felt one of these emotions, Pastor? Certainly, I felt them. I mean, I, I'm as subject to senses as any other human being. But the question is, is when you're thrown, when something's thrown at you, do you, do you bite on it? And, and it becomes the basis of your decision-making or, or do you take it through your filters? Do you take it through what we will talk about in upcoming weeks? Do you take it through certain grids and filters so that you can understand what's happening so that you're not being provoked or you're, you're being gigged? I call it being gigged into a decision that isn't good or isn't God. So write these things down and... Um, and, and we'll be coming back to some of them. But number one is, 10 emotions that drive most dumb choices. Number one is arrested by anger. Has anyone here but me ever made a dumb decision just because you're angry? 
And boy, isn't that one you'd like to go back, or two or ten, or, or however many. You just got angry. You were just so angry. In fact, you've heard this saying, I was blinded by my anger. I was just angry. And, and, and I, if, if I could go back and do that again, I'd do it all over with. Do you know how many murders are committed because somebody got angry and they wouldn't have done that in their right mind? How many fights? How many divorces? How many, how many just situations? I'm sure at job situations and it just people get angry. Now, interestingly, you know, God doesn't say anger in and of itself is wrong. In fact, Scripture tells us that Jesus was angry on an occasion because he saw unrighteousness taking place and, and it made him angry. And, and so we have to understand that there's certain anger that's attached to righteousness. That, that's an appropriate feeling. But again, you have to evaluate these things. Every time you get angry, it's not righteously angry. I know you feel like you're righteously angry. I, I understand. Believe me, when people come and they counsel me, especially if I'm listening to couples and they're angry with each other, everybody feels righteous in their anger. It's always righteous anger. Uh, but the key is usually what it produces. Anger, I wrote down here, is usually the manifestation of frustration, disappointment, fear, sadness, helplessness. Anger is usually a manifestation of something that's much deeper that's going on that usually needs some sort of, of uh, uh, you know, dealing with. So arrested by anger. I got to move. I'm, I got to move quickly. Number two, another another dumb emotional area that drives choices, dumb choices, fueled by fear. Anger and then fear. Second Timothy 1 7, you ought to write this one down. Second Timothy 1 7, it says, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear. You know, most fear does not come from the Lord. Now, there is a healthy fear, but even the Bible, when it speaks of the fear of the Lord, it's talking about deep and abiding respect and reverence. There is a there is a awe, a reverence. It's not it's not the kind of fear like you're you're afraid of getting beat or abused or something like that. So so there's healthy respect that should be a part of all of our lives, but then there's this toxic fear. And that toxic fear has to deal with um, you know, afraid to go forward. You're you're afraid what'll happen, the what ifs. Uh all sorts of things. And a lot of people never, never have a quality of life because they're bound by certain fears. And again, fears cover, golly, such a, a great gamut of, of area. But we'll get back. Number three, I put galvanized by greed. Greed. I define greed this way. Greed is an excessive desire for more of something than is needed. An excessive desire for more of something than is needed. I don't know if you ever heard the old statement, I think, by a Rockefeller years ago when in probably, you know, 21st century terms, he was a, a billionaire. But they asked him the question, how, how much is enough? And his answer was, just a little more. You got a problem. That drives some people's decision making is greed. All right. Um, number four. I'm injured by impatience. Impatience. How many of us have made decisions because we were just plain impatient? 
Maybe we wanted something now. Maybe we couldn't wait for whatever reason. Impatience. Impatience distorts your perception of reality. Can I just share this with you? There's a principle in Scripture that will help you deal with your impatience. And this is what it is. It's called sowing, waiting, reaping. All right? Everybody say that with me. Say sowing, waiting, reaping. See, that's God works in, in seasons. And He works much like... Uh, a farmer waits on different seasons in his crop to produce. And, and the farmer plants certain things and then, you know, he just has to wait. I mean, you can't make it happen any quicker than it's going to happen. It took, I remember, I, I, you've heard my Kansas stories. Uh, my, my uncles were Kansas wheat farmers. And they would plant, we'd literally call it drilling wheat. You didn't plant wheat, you drilled wheat. And we'd drill wheat in about August or September. And it had to go through winter. You actually wanted a good snow. Because the snow would set on the ground and it would actually swell the kernel that was in the ground. And then, of course, it would begin to break through in the spring and harvest was towards the end of June or the beginning of July. So it was almost a 12-year, a 12-year, 12-month uh, maturation time period from the time you put seed in the ground till the time payday arrived. But, you know, I never saw my uncle get real whacked out about that. It was like he understood. You sow... You wait, you reap. See, some of us decide we're going to tithe for a week and if God hadn't showed up by week two, we're done with this thing. And then we quit, dumb decision. See, I'm just saying we do things. We decide, well, we're, we're going we're gonna, to, I'll be, I'll be kind for a week. And if I don't start seeing something come back, I don't know that I'm in this. See, see, the whole point of Christianity isn't that you're giving Jesus a try. He isn't here for you to test drive. Jesus is Lord of all. You are in it wholehearted or there's no negotiating this thing out. And that's why you have to understand that, that it's not about what happens tomorrow in a 24-hour time period or next week. But you've got to evaluate things along a whole lifetime. Can I just share this with you? I think I mentioned this in a message the other day, and, and, and uh, if, if I'm repeating myself, forgive me. But we were driving, my wife and I were driving along, and she was just, she does this at times. She just goes, I love my life. I, I love you. I love my kids. I love my life. And, and, and I was saying, yeah, I, I mean, we have, a, we have a nice life. We have a good life. I mean, we're not, we aren't rich. We're, we're very middle class people. And and, and yet, but we have a good life and a lot of good things I can point at. And then she goes, and then Tracy started feeling uh, guilty. She goes, you know, but I just know some people, they're just really struggling right now. And, 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 and it's just, things aren't going well for them. And I feel bad for that. And then I think about my life and then I feel guilty. And, and she was going through this whole thing. And I finally in the car, I just said, stop it, stop it. We've been walking with God, you, since you've been just young. Me, I came to know the Lord when I was 18 years old. I'm 51. That's 33 years. We've been doing our best to make quality decisions for 33 years. We've been married now 29 years. I know what we go through trying to serve God, love God, honor God, and make decisions. And now, here's our life. And it's good, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because I've tried 
to walk in a way that, that embraced and implemented God's way of doing things. Now, listen to me. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this kindly. It's taken 33 years to get to a certain point where life is working really, really well. It didn't happen in three months. Now, I'm not saying God does not do miracles. He can't put things in order. I've watched God do some amazing things when people just sell out and go with Him. But this is the point I'm trying to make. And that is, you have to decide tonight, if you've not already made this decision, and I trust many of you, if not most of you have, is that tonight, you're in this for the long haul, because one of these days is going to be 10 years from now. One of these days is going to be 15 years from now, 20 years from now. And whatever you experience 20 years from now, let's say, is going to be directly related to some of the decisions that you've made this week. Are you following me? I wish I could make instant repercussion. Wouldn't that be great? It's just like a dog. If a dog messes on a carpet, we whoop a tiny. And that dog, the dog ain't real bright, but it begins to connect the dots. I'll tell you what we do with ours, what we had to do with Pugin, I hate it. But if he made a mess, I mean, we'd take Pugin and we'd run him to that place. Because you know, Andrea, Andrea would know, she works with dogs and she knows this. Their memory span is about 10 seconds. So you got to get them real quick, but you go and you rub their nose in it. And instantly they go. They know exactly what they did. Or if I find it and Pugin's there and all I have to do is say Pugin. And he looks at me and he just looks and all. He knows instantly. I wish God would work with me like that sometimes. He'd just take me over to my mess and rub my nose in it. And I would get it. But you know, the amazing thing is, is that God is long-suffering, kind, and patient. And He just lets you keep piling up the decisions until it finally collapses. But the good news is this, that if you'll put good ones together, have mercy. You, you can have a quality of life that people will look at and say, I want what you got. Amen? Got to keep going here because you got to fill in these blanks. Number five, sacked by stress. Anybody ever make a bad decision by stress? Just stressed out? I was visiting with Jimmy before service, and we were just talking about, man, you know, you, it, the older you get, you just got to gotta factor in exercise and sleep. You know, I used to be able to live, when I was you guys' age over here, man, I, of course, you know, like most teenagers, I'd want to stay up late and sleep till noon, but... But I could live off a few hours sleep. I did that all of college. I just lived off a few hours sleep. Maybe got two hours of sleep a night. And then one of the nights, you know, I'd get maybe 10 hours. But I could do that. I can't do that now. <laughs> there are times I got to put my legs up and just take 20 minutes, man. If I don't take those 20 minutes, I'm going to make some poor decisions. So you, you got to deal with number six. I got to hurry. Caught by curiosity. You know the old phrase, curiosity killed the... How many cats died before they started figuring that out? You know, my cat still hadn't figured that one out. I... You know, it's interesting because we are, built, we, we are inquisitive creatures. I believe God built uh, inquisitiveness in us. 
in order that we might pursue solutions and answers. You know, because curiosity can be a good thing. You know, when, when you're curious as to why people get germs and infections, do you know out of that curiosity, penicillin and antibiotics were found that's helped all of us. So, so curiosity in and of itself is not bad. But there are times curiosity leads us down paths because I wonder what those drugs are like. I wonder what it's like to be drunk. I wonder what it's like to dabble in the occult. I'm just curious. I was just curious. And what happens is we make decisions and it, 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 it gets us in trouble. Number seven, lured, lured by lust. Lust is an intense desire to gratify the senses. I also wrote this down. Lust, by its very nature, is intrinsically selfish. That's the difference between love and lust. You know, you, you, you listen to all these celebrities, you know, that are now marriage experts because they've been, well, maybe now they've been married three, four, ten times. And they'll talk about being in love. People don't understand what love is. Love is selfless. Lust is selfish. All right? And let me just say this. It's like fear and faith, love and lust. Those two things cannot occupy the same place for long. All right? Number eight, I got to keep going. Pride, prompted by pride. Pride is an overestimation of one's importance. An overestimation of one's importance. Pride, unfortunately, is usually a blinder to our weaknesses. And uh, we're going to get back to humility. I'm not going to have enough time tonight to get to everything I wanted to get to. Number nine, influenced by insecurity. Insecurity. Now, these are emotions. I'm giving you emotions that are beginning to drive dumb decisions. Now, we're going to explore some more of this and what you do to get through it, but you got to come to the next counseling session, all right? Insecurity is an aberration of humility. You know, humility is a good trait to have. But insecurity is an aberration of humility. It is a total lack of self-confidence or esteem. And most of the time, insecurity is a companion of rejection. And so, uh, you know, that's why, that's why God, when he comes, he reaffirms our identity. My identity is not in who I am or what I look like. Isn't that true? In most of life, I was listening to a guy the other day. I, I'm not saying there's not a place for some of this, and I'm just saying this. So, so give me a little wiggle room here. But I was listening to the, a, a plastic surgeon the other day talk about how, how his mandate is to make, people, to make people feel better about themselves and to esteem themselves better. That's <laughs> such a bunch of... Because, because that's not where your identity is. I mean, there's not enough work you could do on this body to make me feel good about it. But, but, if I know, but if I know Jesus, I can feel pretty good about myself. Have mercy. And, 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 and ladies, I understand. I, I mean, I understand. I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones at it. I understand there's, there's, there's certainly reasons for, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Physical deformities and issues and cleft palates. And I'm, not, I, I'm sure there's a hundred reasons and there are great reasons. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not saying it's plastic surgery is evil. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that if you think that that's what's creating your worth, you're in trouble. 
Because you may get the nose fixed, but what's under the nose is still the same. Are you following me? Okay. I can guarantee you right now, there's a lot of those airbrushed Hollywood ladies that are deeply insecure. Deeply. Sure. Was that nine? Number ten. Of course, I don't know, maybe guys go get work done now too. I guess I shouldn't just say the ladies' guys are doing it too. Need a little work. Hair restoration, huh? Could you imagine that, Andrea? Could you imagine me one day all of a sudden coming into church and it's like, why y'all laughing? I, I see that's why I would never do that. I couldn't. I could not take the beating. I could see y'all. You'd all be petrified. You would know whether to laugh or affirm or. That's why I'd never do it. I'd never do it. I'm. I'm trying to talk my wife into shaving it. And she says, honey, I don't think you have that pretty a head to do that. So, so uh, I'm, slowly, I'm, I'm slowly moving that direction, though. So I was told I had to get a goatee if I went all the way. So We'll see. I, hey, I'm not taking a vote. No, no, we're not, we're not voting on any of this. No, 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 no. Okay. Number 10, and we're out of time. Praise God. Guilt, goaded by guilt. We're talking about emotions that drive dumb decisions. Now, we're going to talk about dealing with this and, and how, how these things, as they are uh, influencing your decision-making, all of these things influence our decision-making. You're saying, to your, you're saying to me, Pastor, well, then how do, I, how do I keep from being influenced by my insecurity? How do I, how do I keep from being influenced by guilt? How do I... How do I break the power of lust in my life? There, hey, there are answers to these things, right? But it, it, it's, it takes time to build revelation inside of us. And that's why we're going to be back next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel. But when you sense these things at work driving one of your decisions, you can at least say at that moment, time out. I can leave you with that much. You can say, wait a second, time out. I know, I know right now that something that that what's driving me in this decision is not God. It's not God. And and I need to call a time out. And, and, and this is a liberating thought. God is eternal. Listen to this. You know what that means when I say God is eternal? It means he's not dying. And because he's not dying, he looks at time so much differently than you and I look at it. We think things have to be decided quickly. When God says, I'm not really interested in the speed of your decision. As much as I'm interested in you making the quality decision, the right decision at the right moment. And if you'll just practice patience with God, God's not going to penalize you for your patience. Now, now if you, if you, if, we're going to talk about, you know, maybe sticking your feet in the carpet and you just aren't, you just aren't going to make a decision or you just refuse to make a God decision, then we're in trouble. But God's not going to penalize you if you're truly wanting his will in this situation. He's not going to penalize you for saying, Lord, I want to, I want to know that I'm making a decision that pleases you. A quality decision. 
because I believe that's, that's what you're trying to lead me into. And if I'm confused, I'm going to tell you, I'm confused and I need you to help clear up the ambiguity. I feel like there's other factors that are pushing me and I'm not going to be pushed. And, and I want to know that I've heard your voice. I have said this. this is, you can write this down. This is one of pastor's prayers before the Lord that I have prayed uncountable times. And it's simply this. Lord, if you will make it clear, I promise you I will obey instantly. And whenever I pray that, without fail, how many of you know God makes it clear? And then I have to keep my end of the bargain. I will obey instantly. And that's served me well through the years. We'll talk about some other things we're going to do too, okay? So we're not there yet. But don't let these things drive your decisions, at least this week. Amen? Stand with me and I'll pray and cut you loose.